You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This is Stuck. Everyone gets stuck sometimes. When you have a problem at work and you just don't know what to do, the Stuck Podcast is here to help. Our hosts, Rochelle Pereira from Equilibrium and Damien Vazadona from Situation, field questions ranging from college students navigating their first internship to seasoned professionals looking to take their companies to the next level. Rochelle comes from a background in leadership consulting and tends to give advice more by the book, while Damien, who's spent the last 20 years building a marketing company, often leads more from the gut. Once they hear the question from one of our producers, Rochelle and Damien only have five minutes to think about an answer before giving their advice. Their responses are intentionally unedited and off the cuff. The episode you're about to hear was created in partnership with undergrad students and their instructors at the University at Albany and recorded live via Zoom. You'll hear three questions per episode, and we had an absolute blast taking it from the studio to this group of smart and inquisitive minds. Now let's get unstuck. All right, listeners, you're going to hear something different from us today. We did a live recording of Stuck at University of Albany. Damien, tell us tell us why we did this. Well, I went to Albany, and when I was at Albany as a student, I had so many questions. When I was about to graduate, I'm like, I don't know what the hell I'm about to do in the world. And just like you and I address all these questions in the workplace currently of people who are already in their jobs, it was clear there's so many different commonalities to the types of questions that we could bring to students. And I just thought it would be exciting to try this new format, bring it to students, and let's get some of their energy. And I think it proved out. Uh, exactly what we thought. The questions were very similar. The energy was exciting. And I think a lot of people are going to take a lot from this podcast. Yeah. Personally, for me, it was so nice to be with the students because I actually began my career as a university careers counselor um, back in the day. So it was really nice to be full circle. And I loved the experience of being with them. Yeah. The energy is just awesome. All right. So should we kick it off with hearing our first student question read by Professor Real? Yeah, let's do it. Our first question is from Rita Shramick. What sort of things on a resume or during an interview particularly stand out to you as an employer? What is something that would differentiate one person from others in a significant way? What is the most important quality or skill that you personally look for in a potential employee? Thank you, Rita. Okay, just give me a second. I'm just trying to absorb the question here. Rochelle, I feel like you're typically faster on your feet than I. Not to put you on the spot. Do you have any really fault? This is semi straightforward to me. Um, the the follow up question I would have, and I hopefully Rita, you're with us because maybe you can unmute. Um, is I, I wonder so. is this for? Oh hi Rita. Hey Rita. Hi. I'm wondering is this um, is this for any job, any time, or is this for a specific job at a specific time? Um, any job, anytime. Any job, anytime. Okay. So super general question. Yeah. Okay. Damien, what what do you have for Rita? I got Good. what I need. Good one, oh. Rita. Hey, Rochelle, what is your, uh, can I put you on the spot first? What's sure. your take? Do you have a, 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 I have a whole bunch of notes, but I feel like I'm just going to blabber. So do you, you're far more concise than I usually are. Am far. Um, well, I think I think it's a really good question. It's one that um, 
that I get asked often, not just by people entering the workforce for the first time post-graduation, but really at any point in their career that this kind of question comes up often. And the really bad news, Rita and anybody else that is asking this question, at least from my point of view, is um, there's no such thing as one piece of marketing that is going to have the impact that you want it to have. And that I believe that that you need to think about it just like marketing in terms of segmentate, you know, segmentations of your audience. You know, who are you sending? If especially if it's a resume, this is a piece of marketing. And who are you sending this marketing to? And what is the impact that you want to have? And then what do you need to put in that resume, which is going to get that person's attention? You know, so I think that's my first sort of piece of this is really thinking about where do you want to apply to? What do you know about that job or industry? What have you done to learn more about what is the sort of skills and experiences and behaviors that are required to be good at that job? And then have you sort of thoughtfully put those into your resume so that those pop? Um, You know, I think in addition to that, there are also really um, important skills that I think any any recruiter would be looking at, things like initiative, self-starter, sticking with something, dedication. But I think my big message is, is that trying to do your resume once is, isn't going to be as fruitful as you, you probably would like it to be. Yeah, I would, I would just be, build on that. The, the people ask me when they join our company, what's the number one skill that successful people have at our business? And I think it's thoughtful people. And thoughtful people um, take the time to really understand who they're applying to. It's going deep rather than wide. In my presentation, I think I outlined, we get about 10,000 resumes a year and fill about 25 jobs. So think about your ability to stand out is your ability to understand really who you're applying to and spend the time to do some level of depth um, and of understanding what you're going for. So it's the thoughtfulness. The thing I would extend upon is a resume gets you so far, any time you have the ability to show up for something, for any type of employer you're looking for, whether it's career fairs, webinars, and those types of things, showing up with consistency is one way of also um, of really beginning to separate yourself. Um, it, the resume is just the very, very, very beginning. And it's all the things that come within that. A thoughtful cover letter. Um, what I'm personally looking for an employee is the ability for change, their ability to evolve and adapt and curiosity, um, I think is extremely important. And the last thing I'll layer on, which again, I said, in my, which I mentioned in my presentation, is the importance of volunteerism. I think volunteerism is, has so many huge benefits. But I think right now, for a lot of people on this call, sophomores, juniors, seniors, volunteering and using that as a vehicle to just become a better person, but also put that as part of your resume, is a really good way to bond with a potential employer in ways that are just beyond the obvious, which I think could be extremely powerful. You know, another another framing of this is, is how do you show interest? You know, that's how do you show interest by showing up to the additional things that the employer is putting on? And by you showing up, you sort of start to build your reputation for yourself. How do you show an interest in terms of how you volunteer your time or where you have worked before or the sorts of things that you want to get into? But I think showing that you have a keen interest in that job and in that role or in that industry helps to motivate the employer to put that investment into you. Because I think one of the things that 
we don't often think about is that to bring on new staff as it does take a lot of time in terms of not just the hiring, but the training and the onboarding and what people don't want is that somebody comes in having not known very much or not been very interested, but just sort of got whatever job they could. And then they end up not liking it. And then they, they jet, you know, a month later. I, I personally did this where I, I worked at a library and I just needed any job. And I just decided, yeah, I'd be a librarian's assistant. And I list, I lasted one week. It was so ill-suited to me. If I had spoken to one other person about what the job would have been like, I would have known that. You know, so I regretted it. I think they they definitely regretted it. Um, you know, and so ask around, you know, figure out what you're interested in so that you it's easier for you to put that in. I yeah. forgot you were a librarian assistant. That's a good one. One me. one week. Did you put that on your resume is the question? I did not. I'm just curious. It does not show dedication or or like that I could stick with something. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Question number two is from Adam King. Adam asks, you discussed the importance of putting our energy into fields where we are passionate. For many of us, that discovery is constantly changing and developing. What is your advice on trusting the sustainability of our current passions or spheres of interest, considering the rapid changes in fundamental beliefs and thinking that often accompany a career maturation process? Well, I, the, the, the question I would ask, like, so is it almost sounds like a risk question to say, like, I feel like I really want to go do this, but everything tells me that if I go this way, it's going to inhibit, I'm going to have a, a risk later in life or some version of like, things might really change. And therefore I put all my eggs in one basket that turned out to be a dud. Is that what the, is that the spirit of what you're saying? Not sure Adam is here. Yeah. I can't find him, Damien. He might not be here. I'll, I'll talk for Adam and say, that's exactly what I meant. Thank you, Damien. <laughs> So wait, just to clarify, it's, I have a passion. I don't know if I trust it enough to, or, or the, the risk of going towards that passion versus maybe taking a more logical approach. I think it's more of a question of our passions are going to change over time. So how do we like follow mm -hmm. that and, you know, dive in now? Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Great question. Yeah. Probably relevant to everyone in here in some way, shape or form. Good. I'll go first, Rochelle, if that's okay. You go me. first, yeah. Because I think the magic, so what I, the notes I have are like, I think the magic of following your, your passion is that you're ultimately going to surround yourself with other passionate people. That that if, once you get into something, if you're passionate about something now, that means you're going to be excited and wanting to go, whether it's study it, whether it's go to a job about it, you're inevitably going to, when you follow your passion, you're going to be something that you're most interested in and generally, the more passionate you are, you're going to find other people that share a similar passion. One of the biggest mistakes I feel like that people could make is surrounding themselves in negative environments and or where there's a total lack of passion. So I'm in the camp. The, the way that I think about it is people who are passionate about what they're doing in the moment pays so many short-term dividends. It's crazy. You're happier. You're healthier. When you're going into jobs, you just have a different energy and excitement to you overall. Even if your passion, I guarantee you, is going to change. Over, I've been next month will be 20 years in business. I've been doing the same job for 20 freaking years. I could tell you that my passion has changed 
tenfold, as have my values evolved. Now I have now children, all things in your life really begin to evolve. But my passion level, to be honest with you, has changed, has stayed the same, even though it's kind of shifted to different levels because I'm surrounding, I, I enjoy coming to work. Like I get sort of inspired by it. So I would view passion as the fuel, not necessarily like the destination. It's the fuel that kind of keeps you going. That's ultimately going to build on building blocks. I can assure you, if you don't have passion for your job, or whatever you're doing, or even the people you're around, like in that world, it's gonna it's it's gonna hold you back. But Rochelle, what do you think? Mm. You talk a lot I, of leadership, so I'm very curious of what you know your take. I I think I think about this from a different lens than you do. It, it, I agree that I think your passions change over time, and so I think assuming that what you're passionate in today is going to be the same thing that it is 20 years from now is doubtful. I think more about the power of knowing what motivates you um, as a person or what um, like what helps you be most authentically yourself. So, you know, before I had said that I was a, you know, the, the library's assistant, it was not congruent with who I am. It was asking me to be somebody who I wasn't. And that's why it wasn't a good fit for me. You know, so I don't know if if you guys have ever done anything around um like social styles or anything like that, but there's like a two by two box and essentially it has four different things in it It has driver, analytical, amiable, and expressive. It's called social styles. You could Google it. You could take a little self-assessment for free online for sure. Lots of places do it. But what it does is it kind of helps you understand what, who you are at your core. And those things are less likely to change over time. Research says that some of these pieces around your personality were the same when you're three as it will be when you're 93. So for instance, drivers like to get stuff done. They want to achieve. They want to get, they want to know what the expectations are and they want to deliver on the expectations. Like I'm a driver. So I like to be in jobs where I can accomplish stuff, right? And I want, and that's really important to me. Analyticals like to be experts, want to spend time, want to dig deep. They want to be able to build an expertise and stuff. Um, uh, and amiable is, are, are people who like to help others that want to be present, want to listen, want to be listened to, um, sort of a slower pace, but like ultimately helping careers are very linked to people with amiable, um, sort of personality styles or social styles. And lastly, expressive, which is 100% what Damien is, is like being creative being open, trying new things, like always. So the fact that he his advice is always have butterflies in your stomach is very linked to him being expressive. Not everybody would give you that advice, but that's also what motivates him. You know, so I think thinking about where you may fall in those four boxes and then thinking about careers that will enable you to be yourself is kind of the other way I would approach passion. Do those, do the four quadrants also come with the risks in those categories? Do you know what I mean of like meaning, you know what I mean? Like if you fall into those categories, here's something that you could, the traps you might fall into set of curiosity. Yeah. So for instance, um, uh, like drivers, for instance, uh, in terms of if we think about communication come can come across as being like bossy or impatient. So you might get into a job and you're like, why aren't I promoted tomorrow? You know, you know, and you might not want to sort of like do the time cause you're not achieving fast enough or good enough. Again, there's a frustration perhaps with an expressive style that things get boring or stale quicker than they would for other people who might be in, you know, in an analytical who want to really perfect. Maybe they want a lot more professional development because they want to get 
deep into something. And amiables, I think, want to be in nice working environments with like good cultures and good a good nice manager and you know a nice place to be. Yeah. Um, of course, we all want to be in a place that's nice to be. I know you know I, I want to make sure that that's coming across. But yeah, I would I would probably do a little bit of this work if I was at at sort of this stage in my career of sophomore, junior, senior. And by the way, I think one of the more frustrating questions I hear from people that, that people get frustrated with is just like, well, how the hell do I find my passion? And, and I think that it is, um, I, I would also, I would interchange drive with passion because I think they're kind of different. Uh, and I've met a lot of people in my life, some people, which I would kind of say, there are some people that have a genuine curiosity or interest in a particular topic or a subject. And they're super passionate about that. Um, and then there are other people that are more driven by the outcome of what they want. So like there are people that are first generation graduating, whatever it is saying, I, I, I know what I'm driven by. I don't want to be as poor as my family, period. And however, whatever drive I need to do to get there, sometimes I would say that almost overpowers everything else that happens. And so there's different, everyone's driven differently. So you can't artificially kind of create it. You just kind of have to try and tap into what motivates you. Um, and I think sometimes passion is kind of a trap word because it's just like, well, I'm passionate about a lot of it. I'm passionate about ice cream. I could eat it all day. You know, so it's like, what do we actually do with it? So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I think that's, I mean, we've come, we've come at this in pretty different ways. Hopefully, um, yeah. hopefully helpful. I have a follow-up that maybe some of the students are thinking, I know my own kids are thinking this. How do we follow passions like you did, Rochelle, and realize they're not the right one and go to another one and maybe realize it's the right one or not without looking like we're job hoppers. Yeah. And I would say early in your career, it's, this is exactly the right time where you should be playing around with it. As long as you build in a really reflective practice. So do something and be, and I I had a client once, his name was Frank and he had on Friday afternoons, he put into his schedule being Frank with Frank to make himself reflect on like how the week was. And I would encourage you in your, in your roles to think, what do I like about this? What do I not like about this? What would I like to change? What would I want to keep? Who do I like best? Who do I want to emulate? You know, really kind of think about standard questions that you would go over on a regular basis to help you understand where your passions are, because then I think it helps you make your next move more, more thoughtful. And honestly, at this stage in your career, if you're jetting after a month, it's not going to ruin your forever, you know, this isn't going to ruin you, you know, in terms of your long-term career progression. This is the time to play, to, to like play and figure it out and, but do it with a lot of reflection. Question number three is from Dylan Hurtado. My question is how do you consistently work on mental health and create a healthy mental space when the world is evolving in front of you? How do you become more self-sufficient while also maintaining the objective goal you have for yourself? What does a good separation between workplace and personal life look like? And where can we identify and work on that line? It's a great question. How do you consistently work on mental health? Sorry, I'm just trying to absorb the question here. More so, it, it, so is this about like how to begin in a really conscious way in your career and in, in starting with a work-life balance from the beginning, you know, and taking care of yourself while you're getting into the workplace. 
Is that how you read that it, my question that was, No, no, that was just my question. Get, uh, um, I feel like I can work with this, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, Michelle, I would actually love for you to go first, if you don't mind. Uh, I struggle with this question. Um, I have an answer, but I don't think it's a great answer. Um, in fact, it could be terrible advice. But I think you, I think you should go first if you're cool with that. I'm happy to go first. Um, I gave a, a four part, you know, a two by two last time. I'm going to give, I'm going to give you guys one more. Um, this is again, four boxes. And so in one box, I would encourage everybody to write physical in the next box, write mental, emotional in the next box, write social. And in the last box, write perspective. Now, so when it comes to work-life balance, I, and I struggle with this too, that um, I try to create all these boundaries and I actually think the boundaries become very difficult. And I think instead of thinking about boundaries, I'm trying more to think about balance and how do I make sure that I'm balanced? And so as you're doing all of these things in terms of schoolwork and applying for jobs and the stress and COVID and all of the stuff kind of going back to those four boxes and saying, what am I doing for myself in each of these four boxes? Because if I can have balance, then I probably feel like the same equivalent to work-life balance. So what am I doing for my physical self in terms of sleep, eating well, like feeding my body with what it needs, water, exercise, all that stuff, mental, emotional is again, like, what do I do for my mind and my spirit? You know, do I have hobbies going back to passions? You know, do I do I have people I can talk to um, about my feelings and emotions? Do I attend to those? You know, social is like, who are the people that are really good? Like close friends or family that I'm deeply connected to. It's more about quant- quality than it is about quantity. And then lastly, perspective. Sometimes it's called spiritual. It's like, do I do yoga or meditation or do I go to church or do I look at the sky? What do I do to feel smooth? Because actually, if I can feel small, then it gives me perspective that like the stuff I'm dealing with today is manageable. But I think sometimes we lose perspective. And so that's why it's a box on its own. But that's that's really where my head is at right now in terms of how do I get balance? Damien, well, what are you thinking? Well, uh, listen, you're my personal coach, right? So like I have gone to you with this question. So this is why I'm like, hey, like they're getting it for free and I paid for it. So I, I, like literally, and I think that I'm a terrible at this. Like I have taken one sick day in 20 years. I love what I do. I have fallen asleep on my laptop while working. Um, I've I just like, I go all in on it and I, I love it. And I think that, so I think the question is, and what some of the advice that you gave me, which I think is what you're saying now is like, it's not about necessarily doing less than a lot of work. And by the way, this is making an assumption that people find a job that they love and they just kind of fall in love with, that they just do. Um, and I've always, by the way, I've always been, since I was young, like I would DJ for, getting lost in something is the most magical thing to me. Getting lost in whatever you're doing, whether you cook, whatever you do, that's the, to me, that's like what we should be aspiring for. And the question is, is when does it become too much for other things that you love in your life? And so when you're young, now, everyone's different. Some people have family that they either want to take care of, whatever that, everyone's comes from different walks of life. When I was younger and I was a little bit more selfish and you just graduate, I'm around your age, at least for me, I had myself to worry about. And I would go and get lost in things and that was exciting. 
as you get older and I have children and I have a wife, and then you start to really gut check against those things and saying like, well, it's, it's, it's not like I still don't want to do what I do. I love what I do, but I also love my wife and I love my children and I want to spend time there. So then the question becomes less about like work-life balance and more like what, which is, I guess that, but, but it's really more about like, what are the things that are important to me that I feel good spending time on? Because then that makes it a little bit easier when you lump it in to like work in life. It's just an un. And by the way, I think where the 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 workplace is moving, this is what makes me very nervous: is the blurring of work life. We're now. You guys are seeing this in your own, just probably in your academic academic life. Like we're blurring the line between an office and a home. That's dangerous. That that is like really. You want to talk about blurring the work life balance? And I don't. Workplaces are really trying to figure this out right now. So all all that to say is like, I'm just, I struggle with this because I essentially say, I tell people get lost in your work in a really great way, but do it, make sure that you're just looking at the values of like wealth, health, all those things have to be in place. And to have the internal reflection, which by the way, why I use a personal coach to help me in that world. It's like a self-reflection of, am I really happy? Because something else oftentimes, especially as you get a little bit older, there's only so many hours in a day. And the more you're pouring your fuel into that thing, there's a good chance other things are not nourished. It could be your health. It could be. So that's a long-winded answer to say, like, I, I don't know. I don't know where I landed yeah. on that. But Somebody told me years ago that, and this really stuck with me, it was every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And I think it's just being really conscious about the choices. You know, there's like no judgment on it. But if you say, if you say yes to Netflix, you're saying no to something else. And that might be fine. If you say yes to that you know, work call at eight o'clock at night, you're saying no to something else. You know, And it's just being really aware of what those no's are. Yeah. Because are the no's closer to where you want to live and the life you want or, or not? You know? I, I, I agree. And I would add one thing. Even to this day, there's never a moment where work-life balance, where I say, you know what? I can go home every single day and say, I wish I spent more time with my business today. What the hell am I doing? And this next day I'll go in, I'll go, Jesus, I'm really not talking to my kids enough. And it goes around, it does 20 years in, it's the same kind of concept that being at peace with it is really just moment of reflection and being intentional with your time. The yes, no, what you just talked about, taking time for Netflix is taking away, there's a discipline to that. And by the way, we live in a society and you guys are growing up right dead center of it of technology and platforms that are designed to steal every moment of our time, whether we know it or not, they're constructed that way. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and we do know that, that there are really negative neurological consequences to the amount of screen time that we have. And if you think about those four boxes, they impede upon our physical in terms of our sleep. They impede upon our emotions because we're oftentimes at like a heightened mode of fear because we're, you know, we're looking at our news feeds or doing whatever, that it's, it's, it's a different kind of social connectivity. It's not to the quality that I was talking about before, but it's oftentimes more in comparison terms. And it oftentimes does not give us perspective, but in fact, continues to feed our own sort of narrowed siloed perspective. So I think really thinking about how screen time is something that, that just impacts us. You know, I'm not, I'm definitely, I would be a super hypocrite to say that, you know, you should have these clear boundaries around it, man. Like I have not figured it out, but I think just, again, how do we have an increased awareness as to how this all interplays on our health and wellness? 
Yeah, and, and I see Carly's question here, is it unhealthy to constantly think about the nose? I think I think it is unhealthy to think about the nose. That's why I'm thinking about what are the things, and in, in my view, it's like thinking of the yeses in your life with things where you want to spend time. And then I think that that drives a lot of positive conversations. Totally. Yeah. I think that's a really, really good point. What do you want to say yes to? Yeah. Yeah. If you found this episode helpful, please rate it on Apple Podcasts or leave us a comment or share it with somebody else that you know is stuck. This helps us reach listeners who could benefit from these conversations. And if you'd like your own question answered, go to our website, stuckpod.com to submit a question. Stuck is created by Equilibrium and Situation. It is produced by the wonderful Katie Byrne, Peter Ujicic, and Stephanie Connors. Our theme music is Rockstar by Owen Mulcahy. Be well, be safe. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.